it's a shame we lost and all that. Everyone has freaked out about that result. Well, are you surprised? I mean, it, not only third defeat in a row, but it's the first time since 1989 that United hasn't scored in three games on the trot. So, you know, the, we, we thought David Moyes was the one for breaking records. It's Van Hull's record now. Right, I thought I'd seen something about it being at the end of 2007, but um, we they were kind of dead rubbers at that point as we'd already won the league. Oh, uh, yeah, but that's three games in the trot. This is three games on the trot and no goals. I might well be right. You might be right. Um, that's pretty, pretty terrible. And I feel like that West Bromwich Albion game, if you repeated... Uh, those exact lineups playing those exact systems in that exact style ten times. I can't see West Brom winning two of them, to be honest. And and I think it was pretty freakish that we didn't score a single goal yesterday. That's one way of analysing it, and that's totally fair enough. You know, eighty percent possession, twenty six shots. Bose Mile had a blinder of a game, nine saves he made. You know, all the stats say. Uh, and, and, you know, I've seen you know, a huge number of passes, like 800 passes and loads in the final third, create tons of chances and all of that. So you, you're totally right. But in the context of losing two games previously to teams that just parked the bus, that looks like a pattern, not a freak result. Yeah, and I think that a, my genuine feeling about it is that the truth, as so often is the case, lies between those two polar opposite views that one that kind of United are just rubbish now and two that that was a complete freak result and there's no cause for concern in that result because there definitely is some there were definitely times when the bounce of the ball didn't favour United's forwards but there were also definitely times when there was a little lack of composure a little too much haste to just take the shot regardless of the fact that there was three West Brom defenders between them and the goal and of course you know the fact that Van Persie missed the penalty just adds to the sense of kind of freakness of the result. Not that it's a complete freak to miss a penalty, but on top of everything else, we also missed a penalty. No, not a complete freak to miss a penalty if you're Robin Van Persie. Or anyone else at United, really. Mm, or Wayne Rooney, yeah. yeah. Have we got any penalty takers that can actually take a penalty and score it? Well, I hear a rumour that Falcao used to be pretty good at them, but <laughs> I also hear a rumour that Falcao just used to be pretty good in general, so uh, maybe he won't be able to do that anymore either. Yeah, so if you gave Falcao the chance on the spot, you, you'd kind of want the keeper to not be in the goal. He'd, he'd probably have a chance then, wouldn't so he? so sad. I can't like seeing him again when he started warming up down the touchline or like before he was even warming up at one point the Stretford end started singing his chant and I was thinking that's fine but are you singing because you want him to come on and if so why like this is the last thing that United need in this game is for Falcao to come on and run around enthusiastically and not get the fouls he wants and then fail to take any chances that fall to him yeah although I mean to be honest he couldn't have and didn't do any worse than any of United's other forwards. So Robin Van Persie didn't have a great game. I mean, you can blame some of that on rustiness, I suppose. Um, just that tiny little bit of sharpness. He had that great chance in the opening few minutes that he, he kind of poked wide and just didn't look sharp enough during the game. And Wayne Rooney playing a lot deeper. I think he had one shot, great no chances, you know, totally ineffective really in midfield. And we've said that quite a few times this season, so that's definitely a broken record. So United, for all the chances created and for all the great saves that Myhill made, and he made some absolute blinders, you know, this isn't, it's not just bad luck. The team hasn't scored in three games. It's definitely not just bad luck. There's some a cutting edge missing there. And, and that's a big question, isn't it? Because uh, we've talked so many times recently about... Uh, since we broke our transfer window talk embargo, 
um, about where you'd build and you, you typically want to build, you know, fill in the problems from the back, but starting to look like we've got a problem up front now. I mean, it's not so much starting to look like we've got a problem up front because that started to look like that in January, but now it's starting to look like the problem up front might be the biggest problem in the squad. It might be that what we need almost more than anything else in the transfer window is a consistent striker or to fill in the gaps to such an extent in the rest of the squad that Rooney can play up front all season. That seems like a big ask. Yeah, from here it really does. I mean, you know, not just the huge expense of, you know, what what might be a significant spending round in the summer, um, but, you know, buying a top-class forward, the kind of forward that will win you a, a Premier League title certainly isn't going to come cheap you know there's uh, I suppose Chelsea spent 32 million on Diego Costa and uh, represented something of a gamble given his sort of patchy history before that but um, that's proven to be very good money value for money but there aren't that many good value for money strikers around Europe right you know generally speaking if you're a top club and you want a top striker you're going to spend massive money yeah absolutely and um if there is a link between United and a, a kind of guaranteed hit striker, uh, it's not really emerged, has it? It's not really bubbled up to the surface of transfer talk. I mean, Cavani is a name that comes up over and over again, but to me, this is this would be a huge gamble because since his move from Napoli to, I mean, I was talking to people on Twitter about Cavani a couple of weeks ago and saying like, did, was he ever good? And loads of people showed me a bunch of stuff from his Napoli career. And obviously he was uh, electric then, right? But he just hasn't been in Paris at all. And I'm not sure why you would spend massive money because it would be massive money on, on bringing him. So after that, who are we even talking about in terms of strikers? I, I, I don't know. No, I mean, he's getting very specific in terms of problems, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure. And, and United are clearly going to have to do some homework in terms of, you know, what are the options and, and, and where they spend the money this summer. I mean, it wasn't just up front that United had some problems, though. I mean, pick out too many players who had bad games. Actually, the thing that really felt disjointed was the system. And, and it, it's almost like it's going back to to the time before we went on that mini run of six games of you know winning when everyone thought it was great and now feels like a blip um and when we had those disjointed systems every week and that, you know especially towards the end it's a weird weird situation at times where Robin van Persie and Wayne Rooney were really deep and Maran Fellaini was up front you know and it was just a total mess at times so the the in the first half the system was just the system as it's been Right, that that was pretty clear. And actually, there was an in, there was a really interesting point, and I've not seen this in any of the papers after Van Gaal's press conference. But Van Gaal's press conference on Friday was one of the most interesting he's given, I think, uh, since the very early stages of his United career, because he basically set out in three distinct chunks what his plan is for next season. And the first was preparation time, and and he's clearly put his foot down about pre-season and said okay if you if we have to go to America we have to but we're going to the east coast we're going everywhere by bus and we're finishing when I want us to finish so this is awesome because this is something me and you have talked about for years and years isn't it and Fergie never did that even let alone David Moyes so that's yeah yeah they're gonna have a they're gonna have a short two-week tour to the west coast oh sorry west coast yeah west coast and um yeah it's gonna be much shorter and less onerous and and 
Um, we'll find out whether we and Van Hal were right when United start the season, you know, in storming fashion. And then the second point he made was about the balance of the squad. And he's talked about that all season, as he said in that thing. And he was talking about having the full summer to get targets and... You know, it's clear that there is an organised plan in place or they're certainly talking like there's an organised plan in place. Whether they pull that off, again, we'll see when the summer rolls around. But the third thing was he was asked, which I thought was quite an interesting question. He, he was asked by one of the journalists, you said before the Villa game that, or after the Villa game, that in a way that's a fixture you're worried about more than some of the bigger games because the system has not been working as well against the teams that come to defend. And he said, that's absolutely the case. And that's the next stage of our process. And I feel like I'm definitely inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one, because it is pretty clear that the process has worked to the point at which when a team comes to attack, United are going to be more than a match for them. That's there's something that happened kind of week after week. But even in the middle of that little run with the Villa game where it was a bit more insipid and a bit more anemic and a bit more like this West Brom game. And like this West Brom game, the, the, the game that it reminded me most of was Crystal Palace um, at home, which we nicked 1-0 from a matter goal. And this could very much have been that game again. There was a lot more ticky-tacky in the pejorative sense. Ticky-tacky of just knocking the ball around and never being able to... Because, you know... When they're knocking it from side to side, they're not just doing it for fun. They're not just doing it to build up their pass completion statistics. They're doing it to try and pull the opposition team out of shape. Sure, yeah. As Van Hal said on Friday, we have to disorganise their organisation. You know, very, very Van Gaal-esque uh, comment, that one, wasn't it? So, absolutely right. Trying to pull West Brom out of shape and, and they didn't want to be pulled out of shape and they were quite happy to lose possession of the ball which is why they had 20% possession you know it was almost Mourinho-esque that was wasn't it just kicking it away and a lot of long balls from West Brom and they were just clearing their lines fine fair enough right so the general way of beating that yes move players around but have players that are super penetrative in the final third and and then you have Angel Di Maria who albeit has had a terrible season and is in horrible form but he's most definitely the most penetrative player we have in the squad and uh, he spent uh, more than an hour on the bench again yeah he just kind of baffled me that one and look this isn't that's not one silver bullet to fix all United's problems but you know it feels like when you've got a team sitting really deep you you might want to bring that player into the game it was really super massively predictable how West Brom would play especially since they were basically going to park the bus but without having any of the pace that uh, that Everton and Chelsea have. I was very surprised at halftime because, you know, you said that Fellaini at the end was playing up front ahead of Van Persie and Rooney, but it started from the first minute of the second half. It was it was clear that Fellaini was playing as a lone centre-forward ahead of Van Persie and Rooney, which was kind of bizarre. I, I assume that the logic, the three-stage logic goes like this. One, Angel de Maria is in such terrible form that bringing him on isn't going to do anything. And when he came on, he was, I mean, totally abysmal. And then two, you put Fellaini on because West Brom aren't being pulled out of shape. So you stick Fellaini in there to kind of try and battering ram some some space and and three the one area in which West Brom did leave some space was in the kind of 20 yards outside the box so at that point having Van Persie and Rooney in those points who can just smack one in from distance has this benefit I'm not saying it worked or it was sound logic or particularly effective 
or was ever going to be affected, but I kind of assume that's what the logic was. Yeah, the weird thing about that, when Fellaini went up front, was that United didn't really play very many long balls up to him. No. You know? This is the irony. There's me uh, bashing uh, Van Hal and his sort of crude tactics for launching it long at Fellaini, and they, they stick him up front, and they don't do that. What, because they're going to play it into his feet, because, uh, you know, there's nothing like a bit of close control from the big Belgian, eh? <laughs> it's all very odd, got to say. You know, I, I'm not inclined to a knee-jerk reaction uh, to this one because I, I do kind of feel that Van Gaal has a plan, um, but in its modules, it feels awful. And, you know, that, as I said just a moment ago, that, that six-game winning run feels like a freak now. And it feels like a freak because within that six games, Sunderland and Newcastle were not that pretty. Aston Villa wasn't that pretty, and we got three good performances. And then before that, we had this long string of a decent run, like 20-odd games and a couple of defeats, but a load of really turgid performances. And then in the autumn, it's those mixed results, you know, really or terrible start to the season, Van Gaal called it. So you look at the long piece, terrible start, Dire performances, nice little blip of of uh, great performances, great wins, load of losses again. It's starting to look like it's not been a great season. But I mean, it's never. But I kind of think there's going to be a there's a pattern, right? There's or there's a process that Van Hal wants to go through. So I don't feel that knee jerk about it. It's the paradox of progress, isn't it? It's that progress never, in no feat of human endeavour does progress go in a, in a straight line. You're always going to get backward steps. And if you, just as you can kind of look at those victories, and like, I don't think the Villa performance was bad by any stretch of the imagination. I would definitely kind of put that in a four-game run where we were pretty good, or we were very, very good and pretty good at least. Sunderland Newcastle, I totally agree. We were pretty dismal in both of those games not second half against Sunderland, but generally. But then if you look at the last three games, to kind of shove them in a block altogether as like these three defeats, because they're three defeats in a row, all mean the same thing. I don't think you can even really do that because I think the defeat to Chelsea, we're just not at the same level that they're at yet. And their needs were so different to ours that they could just park the bus for 90 minutes and they're supposed to be able to stop us by parking the bus. You know, you know what I mean? Like they're a very good side with very good players who are very well set up, set up to do that. So I kind of feel like that wasn't even, that wasn't a bad performance, particularly. We also had that massive injury thing before that, which totally disrupted our rhythm because so many players had to be shifted about the place. Then you've got the Everton game and that was just dreadful. I think out of all of the almost the worst performance of the season, I, I was. It took me an hour and a half after the game to think of a positive. It was like, oh yeah, Luke Shaw was pretty good, but apart from that, it was just dross. This was not a game devoid of positives by any means. Like it's so likely that we could have been sitting here going, yeah, that was a bit dull, but hey, we won two nil. You know, at the end of that game, based on a pretty much exactly that same performance, p- particularly with a little bit of additional cutting edge. So I do think they're free quite different instances to draw one broad sweeping conclusion out of. Look, I agree that's fair enough, but that, that's the case of any season, right? You know, so if you're at the bottom of the table, you can start pointing to individual games and a bit of bad luck, which is exactly what managers do and go, well, we're unlucky there. Our performances haven't matched our results, you know, yada, 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 right? So fine, but actually, zoom out a little bit. United have lost three games where the opposition let them have the ball and then tried to break on them. I mean, West Brom slightly different because... Uh, they didn't really try and break at all. Um, <laughs> scored uh, off pretty much their only chance in the game. So clearly there's a problem uh, where United have to break teams down that are sitting deep. Uh, and, and that's not just these three games. That was before and earlier in the season, right? So um, where, uh, and, and 
you know, without having all stats to hand, I think United's record against the top teams is pretty decent, right, this season. And um, and that's because it's a more even game. And, and so it's a really clearly identifiable problem that Van Hull has to fix, amongst many others, to try and take this team forward. He's going to have to fix that problem, fix some of the imbalance in his squad, definitely imbalance. Clearly, Michael Carrick's out and everything falls apart. That, that can't be right. And, you know, and maybe he has a plan. I hope so, because uh, it doesn't half look like United's transfer policy is scattergun. You know, re- remember that there were four signings in the last week of the transfer window last summer. That wasn't good planning. If this summer goes like last summer, then sure, it's a totally valid criticism. And the summer before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the summer before and last summer were summers of enormous upheaval at United. And in theory, this summer shouldn't be. This summer should be back to business as usual and a more smooth running of the transfer market. And if it doesn't, if we're just trying to sign superstar players on the last day of the transfer window, then there's a real problem. But hopefully that's just not going to be the case. If you look at the the targets we're being linked with strongly are a balanced range of players across the various problem areas we have in the squad, right? Yeah. It's n- yeah. it's not that same scatter shot, but of course the proof's in the pudding. Well, it certainly is and and maybe Woodward's favorite tactic of uh, calling up Jorge Mendes will uh, will broaden in scope uh, and he'll deal with a, another agent or club or two. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see. Of course, you know, it does it does make a difference whether Van Hal keeps his job, I, you know, 99.999999 expect him to do so, but there's this outside chance that United fail to Reach the Champions League, not that outside chance, but an outside chance. Um, it's and and the board, outside. yeah, it's pretty outside. Five points is needed, you know. So that's a, a win and two draws. Or if if Liverpool win all their games, if win, Liverpool win all their games, and Liverpool play Chelsea next. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. A bunch of caveats there. United, uh, very high odds on favourites to make that fourth place. But but you can paint a scenario in which Liverpool win all their games because the others are against Hull and Stoke. So if they, you know, Chelsea switch off, won the title, celebrating too much. Um, Liverpool crowd behind them at Anfield. You know, rousing performance, Steven Gerrard's last game at Anfield, whatever it is, you know. Can, you can paint a picture in which Liverpool do win all three of those games. United get a draw at Crystal Palace, lose to Arsenal and uh, go to Hull on the last day of the season having to win and hope Liverpool don't win, right? So there's definitely a scenario in which you could you could paint there that it all goes wrong and maybe the Glazers knee-jerk and, uh, and uh, Van Hal's out of a job. I think it's a very long shot, but, you know, it's a shot. Sure. To go back to a point you were making a couple of minutes ago about difficulty breaking teams down that sit really deep, for most of the season, we've ultimately been successful in doing that, right? Because we're fourth place, five points clear of Liverpool for a reason I think it's we've probably been over the course of the season the fourth best team in the Premier League which is no great shakes for United but it's an awful lot better than it was last season being a football fan for United this season has been so bipolar because swung from kind of giddy to pits of depression and the truth is in the middle like the truth to me looks like there is an underlying improvement I, I think that that West Brom performance was reflective of an underlying improvement because we didn't concede possession in stupid areas like we were doing earlier in the season when we were trying to play like this we did really struggle to penetrate because that's the bit of the puzzle that hasn't come 
good yet. And we were struggling with weird injuries. And Van Gaal did the thing that I think we accused them a lot of doing a lot earlier in the season, of overcompensating for the fact that the system wasn't working like he wanted it to. Because I, f- I think sticking Fellaini up front and putting Van Persie and Rooney behind him was a gamble too far. Yeah. It was unnecessary. I mean, I can see why he thought, well, it doesn't matter if I put two strikers in midfield because West Brom have no interest in crossing their own halfway line. But still, mm, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it's a tactic I or many other people would pick. But you know, there you go. Um, so yes, United are, are the fourth best team in England. Fourth total highest number of points. Fourth highest number of goals scored. Fourth highest number of goals conceded. It's uh, it's all very neat, isn't it? So I, I suspect United will just scrape into the Champions League. We'll have a a Champions League qualifier in late July against, you know, I don't know, the fourth place side in uh, Spain or something like that. That's going to be a bit tasty, isn't it? So you you would hope that Van Hal's short preparation time would be uh, very good. You know, and and, and look, we, we'll do a proper wrap-up of the, the season when we come to the final show of the season, right, where we can kind of take stock and step back a little bit and, and look, look over the, the longer piece. But really, we can only call this a successful season uh, in the terms of what success is, you know, determined as this season. If, if United do make that fourth place, and they're going to, and it will just be just be the requirements met, the KPIs have been met, and nothing more, I suspect. Yeah, and and that's that's absolutely right. The The other thing is... We were sitting here eight weeks ago or nine weeks ago or ten weeks ago, terrified of the run of fixtures that were just about to come. And, you know, from from a kind of, so long as we don't totally blow it now, which would be a, a disaster along the lines of the season that Fergie threw the league away two seasons before he finished. If we don't blow it from now, then I'd rather we got the points against Liverpool and City, to be honest. Because, of course, the points all count the same, but the experience is not the same. And, uh, you know, I'd rather... I, I think we have amply demonstrated that we are more than a match for good teams and that the problems that United have got lie somewhere else. Like, everyone, when they're kind of doing their freak-out calculations, is assuming we're going to lose to Arsenal. And I don't think there's that much cause to assume we're going to lose to Arsenal. I'm not saying we're definitely going to win, but they're not going to come and sit in two banks of four, are they? You know, So we might have a bit more of a chance in that game, but anyway. No, Arsenal won't, uh, although they were definitely superior in the FA Cup game. That was not that long ago, and they're in better form and all of that, right? So the odds are that, that um, they're playing better than United right now, so they're going to give United a very difficult game, but yeah, they're definitely going to come out and... And play, you'd think. I, I wouldn't be that surprised if this West Brom game has a slightly similar galvanising effect on United that the um, Arsenal game did, because in that game we played very well for large chunks of the game, and then we took that very good performance into the next few weeks with an absolute vengeance. And I didn't. I, the Everton game was was such a hammering that it didn't feel like that, but this game it did feel like they came within a whisker of of making it all work and they can be so confident in their ability to play the system up to that final third they just have to do the thing that they need to do in that final third and that's that's what's not happening when the team sheet was announced i thought to myself well that's got to be it right that's got to be dimmerir off because this game seemed an absolutely ideal moment for him to come back into the starting lineup and he didn't and then when he did come on, I think that's probably his worst performance. It felt like every time he touched a ball, it was a disaster. Until then, he, he actually thraked a, a shot that forced a really good save from my or it looked like he did from the angle I was I was watching it from. But generally, like 
Dimery just looked completely atrocious. Every crosser wrong and Yeah, not everyone. I mean, he put in a really, really great ball across the six-yard box, didn't he, which which could have created a goal, and there was a bit of desperate West Brom defending. Um, right. Yeah, a lot of, lot of crosses from the left wing that just didn't find their man. To- totally, you know, like 12 of them or something. You know, I, I don't think I'm actually exaggerating there. Yeah, but that's the kind of player he is. He's trying to make an impact, and um, I, I'm just not sure where we're going with this, this one. Is, is Di Maria... Is he out of the club? Is that the the decision that's been made? Uh, if not, do we really think an impact player is and a kind of rhythm player like that is going to benefit from playing like half an hour here and there? Um, a player of his kind of standard, it, it seems kind of slightly odd management unless a decision has been made to sell him on. You know, Paris Saint Germain wait. Yeah, absolutely. Um, positives from that game other than the ones we've talked about already, like chance creation and ball retention. Not that ball retention is a a positive in itself, but there are positives to it in terms of the system working. The building blocks of making the system work, I should say. I thought Ashley Young was very good in the first half in particular. I thought he was uh, looked our most threatening, most penetrative player. He, he made a couple of really tricky decisions which um, which surprised the West Brom defence and, and nearly created a few openings. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ashley Young was bright. Um, I mean... He's a one-trick pony, of course, and his one trick was was cutting inside and delivering a ball. I thought he did a good few different tricks. That oh, that was what I was surprised by. I was like, oh, that's nice. He went on the outside or knocked the overlap to Blint or whatever a few times. I was like, oh, well done, Ash. Yeah, he tried something unexpected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you know, on the rare occasion he did that. I don't think it was that rare. Whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're totally right. He was uh, world class and unlocked uh, defence that sat. Deep? No, no, wait there, he didn't. That's not what I said, of course. Neither did anyone else. Awesome stuff, wasn't it? Or or even implied. Yeah. Um. So, where, where do United go from here? I mean, Crystal Palace next weekend um, suddenly doesn't look very good, does it? I mean, uh, Palace, uh, you know, they've not been great in recent weeks. They don't need to be, I suppose, uh, because they're safe, aren't they, from relegation, not dragged into that. You know, people have been saying they're on the beach, but I wonder whether they won't be up for it at Selhurst Park. It was a good crowd there. Um, and and they pretty much always give United a good game. Yeah, uh, and I guess we should do a full preview of that game, or at least something of a preview of that game. Um, do you fancy taking a few Twitter questions before we do that? I, I bet they're all awesome this week. At Ben Gloria says, remember when we were good? Lots and lots and lots of songs about times when we were good at the game. Yeah, uh, I do remember when we were good. Yeah, just about in my old age. Although we were quite good a couple of weeks ago, to be honest. Yeah, it's still pretty hazy. I'm, I'm like reassessing that in my mind. Were we that good, really? We were that good. We were. We were so good. Do you remember Juan Mata's goal against Liverpool? I, I do. That was very good. It was very good. Yeah. <laughs> at Stephen Simon says, is character defined by clear objectives and obstacles or more a matrix of random impulses in given situations? I think it somewhat depends whether you mean character or personality because I think that, the, as I said earlier, the truth so often lies in between the two things because I think both in terms of morality and in terms of personality, sometimes those random impulses are what define us, but those random impulses are rarely actually random and are really about kind of social conditioning and the way we perceive ourselves in relation to the world, all that kind of stuff. And I think clear clear objectives and obstacles definitely 
assist in the growth of character, but I'm not sure they fundamentally define it. Yeah, I wonder whether Van Hal might define it slightly differently. So he's very much a process-driven manager. He he wants his players to have very clear objectives, uh, and he delivers that through a process. Uh, and, you know, in a way, he looks like he doesn't want characters in his side because of that. But then he does like the odd spark of inspiration, doesn't he? So That's it, isn't it? It's it, there's it's one or two in a team. I think next season's going to be great. By the way, <laughs> keep saying this, but unless we really mess up, if we don't get Champions League football and we blow the transfer window, then I'll change my mind. But those two things are go well. I'm pretty optimistic. <laughs> what do you think? What did you think you would say? See first asks only one matter when Van Gaal took over. RVP in midfield or Phil Jones on corners? Yeah, two very, very bizarre things there. Yeah, um, complete, completely strange, all of that. Very Fergie-esque with the tumbola. Yes, absolutely. Although apparently there was the, the idea behind Phil Jones taking the corners was just to get uh, Rooney and Van Persie in the box because they're more useful in the box than Phil Jones. But the ball, the, the ball need. Well, that is true. I've I've always considered them to be great <laughs> the headers of the, the ball, ball as well. The ball needs to get into the box, though, doesn't it? That's the problem with that strategy. Fundamental <laughs> yeah. flaw in that execution. Joe, yeah. nineteen seventy four says, if you're Mourinho, do you try and lose next week against the Scousers to try and knock knock United out of the top four? No, <laughs> I, and I don't think it matters, does it, to Mourinho? Uh, Chelsea are so far ahead that uh, why no I, I don't think so and they've got uh, they've no cup final coming up then I don't think he's going to turn up with six kids maybe they won't park the bus uh, which is what they've done for the last three games it'd be brilliant it'd be so good if they did if they just went play like Zuma in midfield again and just like really set out to spoil Steven Gerrard's day because he never came to Chelsea um, anyway, uh, at bifurcated underscore MBM with a run of three spectacular questions. One, is Falcao being used in a weekend at Bernie scenario? Two, same question with Di Maria in it. Three, same question, but with weekend at Bernie's too. Yeah, there's my current theory, my current working theory is that the real Di Maria is locked up in Nanny's basement in Portugal. Um, and well, the Falcao theory is slightly less interesting and it's that his knee his knee hurts and so he can't play football right. anymore. Right, yep. Um, Weekend at Bernie's, that's the one with Andrew McCarthy in it, right? I couldn't name a single actor in Weekend at Bernie's, although I have seen it at least three times. It's the one with the, the dead guy, you know, and they carry him around at yeah. parties. Yes, yes, yes. I think it's it's, uh, it's Andrew McCarthy. He, he was in um, like Pretty in Pink and or a bunch of those kind of right, late right. 80s. Classics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, t- it's terrible. Well, Weekend, of, Weekend of Bernie's is awesome. It's a hilarious comedy about a corpse, you know, classic. At Finno76 says, is excessive Chinese food to blame for the recent slump? Yeah. Mm, might be. Van Hal's definitely got shares in wings, hasn't he? <laughs> he has, exactly. Red from Zed says, would losing a Champions League spot be enough to fire King Louis? And if so, would Klopp still take the job? I think a season of process under Van Gaal, the last thing we need to do is get rid of him because there's definitely been enough signs of promise that this process is going to lead to something. And his entire career suggests that he's a coach that works with a process towards building something. I I think the chances of Van Gaal being fired are very small, as I said earlier. There's a chance, though, because... If United don't meet the uh, the objective set, then generally speaking, a coach gets fired, right? But I 
just can't see it this time. At Whitpit says, why can't LVG change the system to suit available players? 4-3-3 works with Carrick, but not without him. Players looked lost versus West Bromwich Albion. I kind of disagree with every single part of that. First of all, LVG spent the entire season changing the system to suit available players with reasonably disastrous consequences. Secondly, that bit is pretty sound, that Carrick has been key to making that 4-3-3 work. But the players didn't look lost to me, against West Bromwich Albion. They looked a bit short of ideas in the final third, but they didn't look lost in possession to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely something has, has been cut out of United uh, with Carrick out of the team, and it's, it's a problem that needs to be fixed. Definitely. Definitely. Because you can't be relying on a 34-year-old for your entire game plan, you'd think. Um, so, yeah, I don't think United are lost. I, I think there was a game plan. It's just... They haven't found another one to counteract the fact that teams are putting 10 men on their own goal line. Absolutely. At Front Row United says, United have a history of making things challenging that should have been straightforward. What is your favourite example? Well, well, that'd be the 1999 (laughs) Champions League final. But I don't know if that should have been straightforward, really. Because they were a pretty good side, weren't they, by Munich? They were a good side, but United were the best side in Europe that season. Yeah, that's so true. you know, United were, in fact, in Arsenal terminology, invincible in Europe that season. <laughs> yes. So you um, see what I did there? It was good. I like it. The 2008 Champions League final, when we were one nil up at half time, having battered Chelsea off the park completely to kind of then throw the whole thing away in the second half and nearly throw it away. That was uh, that was pretty super mega intense, wasn't it? Yeah, it was all part of uh, United's uh, like deep-lying strategy to ruin John Terry. <laughs> um, at Nasha underscore Hassan, that's a question which I'm sure you're going to enjoy, Ed. When's the last time Rooney dragged United back into a game? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can enjoy it because I can't remember a time. There probably is one. I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but... Uh, not this season or last, really. Well, maybe not the season before. There, there was the time that he like scored the overhead kick against Manchester City in 2011. That was good, wasn't it? I enjoyed, that was I good. That, that was good. Yeah. yeah. Um, at MR Thompson 9 says, inspired by yesterday's random formation, what would our best 11 be if no one could play in their proper position? So just forget goalkeeper, right? Because we have no, we've no John O'Shea anymore. We don't know who's the best outfield player in goal, but the, the 10 outfield players. So I guess... I think I might... No, I guess you've got to go with Valencia at right back. It's definitely not his right position, yeah. I mean, there are a couple of other options. Jones could play there. McNair has played there. Oh, yeah, McNair. There we go. Go with McNair. I like I like him. Smalling played there too, didn't he? But Yeah, but he's terrible. <laughs> he's terrible at right back. You could definitely put Carrick into the into centre-back. I'm Oof. not quite sure. I suppose Daley Blint could play there. He certainly played on the left side of a back three. Um, and then Marcus and... Rocco at left back. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's all a bit screwed up. Nice, nice. Although you know they're all they're sort of tangentially in the right place. You know, I, I don't know, like Bl- it, Blint and Carrick. Is that our best non-centre back centre back partnership? Well, I suppose you could put Fellaini back there. I, there's there's nothing <laughs> to land that on except for he's like big. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then I think holding midfield, you got to go with Herrera, right? Because it's not his position, but he does a pretty good Michael Carrick impression for the most part. So what's the challenge here? Are we trying to pick yeah, the, the best, best possible the best side? Possible yeah, side, yeah, exactly, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Herrera, yeah. He's got the game intelligence. Yeah. And yeah. Fellaini in attacking midfield. Hmm. Because, <laughs> you know, what is his best position? Probably in goal. <laughs> um, and then I suppose I would argue that maybe having Rooney in the other attacking midfield 
position because it's not his position. He's a number nine. But he's terrible there. Yeah, okay. Who would you have there instead? I don't know. Anyone. Van Persie. Yeah, yeah. Di Maria. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Di Maria. Okay, that'd yeah, be good. We can't, yeah, it's not his position, is it? Like, attacking midfield, really? I'll tell you what, I'm changing my answer for left-back and having Ashley Young at left-back. Um, he was quite good at left-back. He was, yeah. And then right-wing, I think Juan Mata is a perfectly good answer to that question because it's not his position, even if he has been playing there for the last nine weeks or whatever. Left wing, Daily Blint isn't anywhere. Have we got? No, we've got him in defence, haven't we? I, I'd, I'd put David De Gea there because <laughs> you know he can he he can strike a ball cleanly. I bet he puts in a mean cross. <laughs> Absolutely, and then uh, Chris Smalling up front, obviously as many goals as Radamel Falcao this season. I tell you what, I'd like to see David De Gea take penalties. The uh, the keeper would if he saved it would still be travelling into the back <laughs> of the net. Um, at one point, the Stratford end started singing his name they were singing you know the classic David De Gea clap 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 and then everywhere you go you always take De Gea and then started singing to Sloop John B we want you to stay but it sort of morphed into we want you to sign and there was a weird subtle difference between those two things that crossed over into slightly cringy territory I thought we want you to stay sort of felt like a, a fairly heartfelt impassioned plea but we want you to sign had a certain grubby quality to it I thought someone responded with we're Man United we're not that desperate <laughs> yeah we're better than that that's like dipping into scouse territory that is <laughs> um, the one thing that was really moving was the a visible show of support for Rio Ferdinand, who's obviously had right, yeah, absolutely yeah. Uh, shocking, horrendous news that that his wife, they've got three small kids, and his wife passed away. And yeah, it was uh, it was pretty intense. Actually, there was a very, very, very loud noise made in support of him, and you could feel very genuine, heartfelt emotion behind it. It was. Uh, it was quite a moment. Yeah, no, no, I think it was genuine as well. There's, there's an awful lot of sort of trite grief in football, isn't there? And um, this, this was not that. Right? This is a player who was at United for, for what twelve years. Um, of course, had a mixed relationship with the crowd over that time. But uh, yeah, tragic. Yeah, just, just really horrible. Three small kids without, uh, without a mother, and um, you know, hard on well, thirty-four as well. It doesn't half. Like, hit at your mortality. We're both quite a bit older than that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was it, it it was very, very genuine emotion and, yeah, and a kind of genuine attempt to convey support at what was a, a very nasty thing. The other emotional moment in a much uh, more positive and nicer arena of life was Darren Fletcher took a little lap of honour at the end of the game uh, and got a phenomenal reception and as he, well, he should have. Yeah. As well he should have, yeah. When Matter got a good reception at Chelsea, uh, Marilyn Flaney, not so much at Everton. N- not that popular, but Darren Fletcher, yeah, heroes welcome. Rightly so. They tried to line up on the wrong side of the tunnel. Did he? Naughty, naughty boy, Darren. <laughs> he talked beforehand about how he wasn't going to do that, and he did it anyway, and uh, lined up, with, and all the, all the West Brom players followed. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's a great video that they're all taking the piss out of him after he's told to line up on the other side. I haven't seen that. That's brilliant. But, yeah, he, after the game was finished, he just walked around all four corners of the ground and 
got a, a phenomenal reception. It was nice, of course, because that is, you know, that was his chance to say goodbye because he, he didn't really get a chance to, did he? So it was... Nice. No, he didn't. And, you know, in a way it was kind of sad demise because, you know, his last few performances for United were awful. You know, I remember him being outplayed by Yeovil yeah. in the FA Cup. Uh, it's such a, you know, to, to battle back from a serious illness and then to make it back in the team was fantastic. And then he had those few games where he had the Gary Neville moment like on repeat uh, for a little while. And that was sad, but so this was a fantastic way of like giving a really positive send It was. And, and the funny thing is he's been really important for West Brom. Yeah, he has. Yeah. And, and I, I wasn't convinced that he would be from those last few performances, but it's reinvigorated him. And I wonder if he'll stay another year or if he'll call time on the career or whatever. But um, either way, just that he's had a positive swan song was uh, really good. And I couldn't help at the end of that game. It's like, oh, nice for Darren Fletcher that they won today. But yeah, uh, just not not so nice for us. So someone who uh, I'm slightly less affectionate to in the world of football, don't have warm, fuzzy feelings when I think about him, is Alan Pardiola. We'll be coming up against an old uh, old United player as well in Wilf Sahar. But yeah, we're off to Crystal Palace. The Crystal Palace ultras of made that ground have some sort of atmosphere and they get a lot of Mickey taken out of them. But actually, they've really done a good job of making that a noisy ground. And I'm sure it's quite fun to go along to Crystal Palace home games. Will it be fun for United? Well, it hasn't always been, has it? I mean, over the years, Palace in and out of the Premier League, of course. Um, I I think it'll be a tough game for United and and especially given the record on the road this season. It's not as if United have been steamrolling smaller sides while travelling. So there's nothing in the history of this season or United's form right now that says that we're going to go down to Palace and, and secure victory easily. The, the one thing you'd say about like Palace now under Pardiola is that they, they are a bit more expansive. This is not a team that parts the bus. They are trying to play good football, as his teams generally do. This is not the kind of long ball stuff. And uh, I don't know whether they'll camp around their own box. They don't need to, right? And... I wonder whether it'll be a little more open than the last three games. Yeah, although you can just imagine old smug Pardew going, hey, lads, I've got a brilliant idea here. I can definitely tactically outfox Van Gaal. What we're going to do is stick four lines of, two lines of four in in the box, you know. Of, of course, you know, and the pattern's been very ably demonstrated over the last few games, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, of course, this is like a battle of losers because Palace have lost three games on the trot as well. <laughs> Van Gaal and Pardew in a battle of losers. This is very depressing. Yeah, uh, the fact that Palace are in dreadful form... I don't know. I don't know. Everything I said before the West Brom game about head versus heart, you know, part of my head goes, yeah, we could just be really rubbish again. Maybe Carrick will be back and that'll be it. We'll be good again. Seems a long shot, but surely we've got enough to beat Crystal Palace. Surely we've got enough about us to pull off an unlikely scrappy win at Palace. Mm, yeah. Look, I tell, I tell you what, though, they have got the um, the tools. If they did want to sit back, they have got the tools to cause United some problems on the break. I mean, they've got a what feels like a very effective central midfield with Ledley and McArthur. You know, they both tend to sit. And then they've like switched Belassi to this striking role. And he's been really, really effective. And they put Punchin and Zahar on the wings. And, and they've got loads of pace there. So if they want to sit and break... They've got more tools to plan the break than West Brom have, for example. You know, so look, I'm just saying there's a there's a scenario in which Palace sit and break, which is like a pretty solid game plan, um, <laughs> and and they could cause some problems like that. 
Oh, really hope Chelsea beat Liverpool. Let's. <laughs> I, I tell you what, wash your mouth out. It's what we've been reduced to. I mean, to. yeah, no. There is. We, yeah, we do hope Chelsea beat Liverpool. And because anyone beating Liverpool is good. And because it's good for United in the Premier League. But it's like dirty, dirty nastiness. You know, it's like going into a cheap strip club. You're going to feel dirty afterwards, aren't you, Paul? You know about it. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Um, the uh, truth is, we could be good again. It isn't impossible that we could be good again. So we have to bear in mind... Is this like generally, is this a metaphysical well, statement? Yeah, humans like... could be good again. That's true too, but that would take even more work than Louis van Gaal's process. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What? Do... All right, Ed, make a score prediction for this game. 17-0. No. <laughs> I think it will be one all. <laughs> and I tell you what, there's going to be some squeaky <laughs> bums after that. I'm, I reckon we're going to smash them 3-0. I don't really reckon that. Um, we still haven't kept a clean sheet, so I'm going to go for a 2-1 win. And I, I think I said earlier that Liverpool were playing at Anfield, of course, it's at Stamford Bridge. Which, yeah, that's... Which that's... just it's changes the dynamic. You know, Chelsea never lose there. Um, so if Liverpool draw there and United draw, um, that then, wouldn't be so bad, would it? No. Ish. How many points do we need after that? We'd still need four points to guarantee it, right? Yeah. Maths and that, we'll see uh, how the season progresses. If we don't end up in the Champions League, it will be an absolute catastrophe, a proper, proper chucked-it-away disaster. We'll never be able to laugh about Steven Gerrard slipping, and if for no other reason than that, Please don't mess it up against Palace, lads. What have we got if not Schadenfreude? Actually, quite a lot. I guess we'll do another one of these after that game, right? And hopefully we'll be uh, celebrating three points and a, much, a big leap towards Champions League football again next season. Because we, we win the next three games and everything's looking rosy again, right? Yeah. Well, that's right. It's all about momentum, isn't it? You know, the narrative of the season, as I laid out earlier, it's starting to look not very good. And I think I think we will tell the story of the season in terms of the, like the last few games. So, if United draw at Palace, lose to Arsenal, and you know draw with Hull, oof, <laughs> it's not gonna it's not gonna be a very good last rank cast no, of the season, not, is it? It's yeah. And on the other hand, of course, if we win these last three games and pull an impressive performance against Arsenal at home, say then uh, then things start to look a bit different and a bit rosier and and maybe we can look forward to the summer and a break and good pre-season and sensible transfer policy rather than big splashy exciting signings necessarily um yeah and that's perfectly sound scenario too let's hope it happens like that one one other minor thing this week david beckham turned 40 ah uh, yes uh, that makes me feel very old. Very, very old. Very old. I've kind of accepted it because he was at school with one of my best friends who turns 40 this year. So all totally makes sense. But yeah, that's it now. They're all old, Ed. All our young heroes are old. It's David Beckett. Yeah, he's just about older than you, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks. No problem. Yeah. Thanks. Not a lot in it. You could say you turn the same age as David Beckham every year, right? That That's true. This is, uh, you know, he's always just ahead of me. I, you know, I'm just that fraction behind him in terms of my footballing ability, material wealth, uh, <laughs> yeah. number of... No, whatever. <laughs> yes, good job you stopped that when you did before we got libelous. Yeah, happy birthday, David. A really, really nice, sorry to be a shill, but a really lovely digital art thing commissioned by Bleacher Report, which they did for Beckham's 40th birthday. Really worth checking that out. 
there you go. That's my Bleacher Report shilling done. Apart from to, apart from to say, hey, you can read the stuff I write there too if you want to. Well, you certainly can. Uh, how, how's your um, how's your stint going on? You smash it dot com. You max it dot com. Are you maxing it? I, I am. I'm maxing it every week without fail. So what are you going to write over the summer? Uh, you know, ten things that didn't happen this week. Uh, yeah, there's plenty to talk about during the summer, isn't there? There's all the transfer stuff and speculation about next season and reviews of this season and all that kind of stuff. There'll be there'll be plenty to talk about. There always is with football. It feels like the summer break's going to be really long, but then preseason kicks off in a month or whatever, and it's all the ball starts rolling again. Very good. Well, that's a, a small glimpse into the dark side of Paul's life. If you want to catch the dark side of my life, you can catch me on Twitter. At- at United Rant, uh, and which is definitely dark. <laughs> let me tell you, that's like that's like the version. That's basically like your id writ large, isn't it? Your Twitter account, something like that. Yes, yeah. You can catch us on Facebook at uh, slash United Rant, and uh, probably some other social platforms. In fact, we are on Google Plus. Um, it, it, yeah, we are. Well, it's like an automatic feed. Um, if only because uh, Google, in its algorithm, uh, like weights that more highly than any other site on the planet. Right. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Peaceful Paul. Where there oh, are very nice. Occasionally pictures of Old Trafford on there. Uh, good stuff. Well, have a good week, everyone. Uh, don't feel too sad. Well, do, actually. Yeah, have a miserable week. Thinking of- no, no. Actually, I had a really brilliant day in Manchester. Met loads of super cool people, including Rankcast listener Phil Gatt, um, which was an absolute treat. So uh, that bit of that bit of the journey to Manchester is always a joy, whether or not the football's good. Yeah, very good. Well, okay. So uh, don't feel too, too down, people. Um, United uh, will probably not lose at Palace. <laughs> uh, come on, you Reds. <laughs> <laughs>